The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. If you haven't already, open with me to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians on page 983 of a Bible in the pew rack. If you don't have one near you, find one and open with me to the book of Colossians, the letter of Paul to the church at Colossae. Uh, we have been studying this now together for several weeks. Uh, we come this morning to chapter 1 and verse 9 to 14, and what we want to see is uh, an apostolic prayer for you. An apostolic prayer for you. I want you to remember that, uh, that this letter is just that, a letter that Paul wrote to a congregation, and a, a man by the name of Tychicus would have come to the church of Colossae and uh, be reading this letter to them. And in the letter, he has been reading about how Paul has been expressing gratitude for the church, how thankful he is to the Lord for them, for their genuine faith, love, and hope, for what the gospel has been doing in them and through them. And that was last week. This week, uh, we come to the fact that the Apostle Paul is praying for this congregation. Now, just think about that for a moment. You ever had somebody tell you that they're praying for you? Ever had someone tell you specifically, I'm, I'm praying for you? Or maybe you asked for someone to pray for you and they said, yes, I will do that. What a, what a wonderful thing that is. Uh, one of our ruling elders especially says that all the time. It's so meaningful to know when somebody says, I'm praying for you. So I hope you know the joy of people praying for you. I hope you know that, that our session prays for you, your family, Name by name, every single week, every single month in our meetings together, we go through the entire roster of our church to pray for everyone by name, your children, your grandchildren. Someone is praying for you, your elders. It's also important that you know that the Bible tells us that Jesus prays for you in heaven. You might not think about Jesus doing that in heaven, but that's what the Bible tells us Jesus is doing as he sits on the throne in heaven, praying for you by name. As we come to this particular passage, we also find that in addition to the fact that you have friends who pray for you, the fact that you have church leaders who pray for you, the fact that you have a Savior who prays for you, and what we find here is that the Apostle Paul is telling this congregation at Colossae that I am praying for you. And the beautiful thing that we have here in the text is that oftentimes people might say, I'm, I'm praying for you, but they don't tell us exactly what they're praying for. But here in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is writing to a congregation and he says, I'm praying for you with great specificity. This is exactly what I am praying for you. So what I want us to, to see together is that as Paul writes this letter to the Colossian Christians, by virtue of the inspiration of the Spirit, his prayers for this congregation in Colossae are also the prayers that we can understand that the Apostle Paul, through the Spirit, is praying for, for you and I, 2,000 years later, that this apostolic prayer is also the prayer that we can say is being prayed for you and I. So what is it? How does he pray for these Colossian Christians and by extension, you and I? I want us to see that together. So let's pray and we'll ask God's blessing upon the Scriptures that we might hear the word in faith this morning. Heavenly Father, we bow now to declare again that you are our God and we are your people.
that here in the Scriptures you reveal to us the words of life. And so I pray that you would give us faith to receive these words, not just as ink on paper, but Spirit-inspired, without error, given to us that we might know you and your will and your purpose for our lives. Lord, teach us this morning by way of the Spirit through the Scriptures that we might be sincere disciples of Jesus Christ, that we might grow in faith, love, and hope, that we might be your witnesses. Lord, teach us. Open our hearts and minds this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear the Word of God, Colossians 1, at verse 9 through verse 14. This is the Word of God. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. So may He write truth on our hearts and do invite you to keep your Bible open there. As you remember that, that this is still just the introduction to this letter. I told you last week that the introduction to the letter actually runs through uh, chapter 2, verse 5. All of this is introduction, but here this morning we're specifically looking at Paul's prayers for these Colossian Christians. Uh, let's remember that Paul didn't know them personally. He heard about their faith. And as he heard about their faith, he's writing to encourage them. So you'll see that in verse 9 he says, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. Paul heard of their faith, so he prays. And what he prays is a beautiful, beautiful teaching for us about the nature of the Christian life. So as we think about that, I want to ask you, um, did you maybe growing up, or maybe do you now have a growth chart in your home of some sorts? Whether that's on the backside of a closet door or a door frame, something in your house that was used to be the reference point of growth for your children or your grandchildren to say, here they go, they're growing up. I hope that you do. Or I hope that you've known that joy. We started one in our house last year for our son's first birthday. I find myself thinking often, I wonder how much of a, of a growth interval there'll be this year. I wonder how much growth there will be. And wondering what it will be like in God's grace to see the increments grow. Maybe you look back over that for children that are no longer in your home. And you think about them growing up and it seems like just only yesterday when they were only so high. Or your nieces or your nephews. We see children grow up. Now could you imagine though, could you imagine what a growth chart would look like if it tracked not your physical growth, not your height, but it tracked your spiritual growth. What if you had a spiritual growth chart 
on the backside of a closet jam or the backside of a closet door that showed incrementally where you were as you grew spiritually. Is that something that we could say that we could measure or track? Or maybe I should ask you the question, uh, do you think that you are still growing spiritually? Are you someone who could say, I, I identify in my life seasons and times and I look back and I see that I've grown. I perceive that these etch marks on the door are advancing and I'm growing up to represent spiritual growth. As we look at what the Apostle Paul is saying here as he prays for these Colossian Christians, it's, it's something of a spiritual growth chart for their lives. It's something of these like interval tick marks to say, as you're growing, here are the things I'm noticing. As you're growing, here are the things that are developing. You're getting taller and you're growing in faith in these various things. Now just a few notes for you, just to kind of uh, appreciate what Paul is saying here. You might be interested to know that actually in the original language in Greek, this entire sentence is one run-on long sentence. Actually from verse 9 all the way through verse 20, if you look at the text, that's one sentence in Greek. Paul, as a, as a writer, has this way of just going on and on, as inspired by their spirit to be sure, but it's one long, massive sentence. And so what I've attempted to do is break it down in the most, hopefully, clear ways possible. So I've given you an outline in your bulletin to break down not only what Paul is praying for, but specifically why he prays that and what it looks like as he makes specific requests to the Father as he prays for these Christians and, by virtue, uh, you and I. Now, I'll also tell you that uh, I made a game time audible call and I've left off the third point. It's there on your outline, but I'm not going there this morning because there's just there's, there's too much there. We'll come back to it, Lord willing, next week. But this is, this is so rich and full of Paul's prayer requests for you that I want us to, to enjoy how it is that Paul sees the possibility of our spiritual growth, the possibility of our Christian maturity, growing up in faith, love, and hope. It looks like this. So first of all, let's see the specifics of this apostolic prayer requests. Look again at verse 9. This is what the Apostle Paul is praying for you there again in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking what? That you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's apostolic prayer for you is that you would be filled with knowledge. Filled with knowledge. Filled with the knowledge of God's will. Not just any knowledge. The Apostle Paul just doesn't want you to become smarter and fill your head with information. And that would have certainly been the case in the first century that in the ancient world, knowledge was seen as the, the preeminent discipline of philosophy and logic and rhetoric to be able to display impressive credentials of my knowledge and my learning and be smart for the sake of being smart. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's just talking about information. And that's true for us still 2,000 years later because, well... You've never had more access to information in your entire life. It used to be if you wanted to learn something, you had to crack a physical book, an encyclopedia. You don't even have to Google things anymore. You can just ask audibly a bot that's listening to you and will tell you. 
In fact, he might even tell you what you want to know before you even think to ask. Why? It's listening to you. It knows what you want to know, and it will tell you the information that you want to know. But Paul is interested for you to grow not just in knowledge, not just in basic knowledge, but to grow in spiritual knowledge. The knowledge, he says, of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is to say, he wants you to know God's truth, to know God's will, to grow in your understanding of God's truth. So let's say very clearly that God's will can be known. There are some people who live with this great sense of mystery that I could never know what God's will is for my life. And in fact, you can. And not only can you, but the Apostle Paul prays that you would know what God's will is for your life, to grow in the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. There are some people, though, of course, who say, you know what? Who cares? I don't really need to know that. Why do I need to bother with those things? There are many people who have a very cold and apathetic sense of spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul is very concerned that that these Christians, that they would care, that they would know, and that they would grow. Actually, Paul has a description elsewhere in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he describes Christians who, who don't really have an interest. He describes their lack of interest in spiritual things and their lack of interest in spiritual growth as being like children who have never graduated from just drinking milk. And he tells the Christians, you know, there's nothing wrong with drinking milk, but after a while, you've got to learn to eat some solid food. After a while, you've got to grow up, digestively speaking, spiritually speaking, beyond just the milk to some food, to some solid food to chew on and grow with. I wonder if I could ask you, do you, do you perceive that you have a hunger for spiritual knowledge? Do you have a desire to grow in spiritual truth and in spiritual things? It can be known. You can grow. Do you want to? The Apostle Paul prays that you would grow in spiritual insight, wisdom, and understanding. Two, very clearly, understand spiritual truths. Now here is something that I find to be a really important reality, and it's, it's very simple. That as a Christian, as a Christian, you and I should I use this language very carefully. I don't often use that word. You and I should know what we believe. That's not an unrealistic expectation, is it? That you and I should know what we believe. Do you know what you believe? Your ability to know what you believe is evidenced by your ability to articulate it. Are you able to articulate what you believe? Are you able to articulate not only what you believe, but why you believe it? And furthermore, are you not only able to articulate what you believe, why you believe it, but also why you do not believe other things in contrast to what you do believe and why you believe it? You follow this kind of logic? There's this, there's this sense of growth in the Christian faith that expects that you and I should be able to articulate what we believe and to be articulated winsomely as to why and why we hold this in contrast to other worldviews and opinions and philosophies. Do you know that? Are you someone who needs to grow in spiritual knowledge? Paul desires that for you. The Apostle Paul wants you to grow up in spiritual wisdom and insight and understanding and knowledge. We need to do that. 
He prays for that to be true. And why does he pray for that? Why does he pray for knowledge? The reason why is in verse 10. He prays for this wisdom and understanding in order that, verse 10, so as to, that's a purpose statement, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing. He prays for the purpose that we would know so we can walk in order that we would learn how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Remember those growth charts? They go upward. They represent a time when you had to be held up to measure your head because you didn't have the stability to stand on your own two feet, maybe. Isn't it interesting the way we, we undergo physical development? We go from gaining head control, right? Our daughter, you know, her head just flies all over the place. You've got to hold it in place. You don't have head control when you're born. You've got to learn to control your head. You've got to learn to sit up on your own. You've got to prop a baby up or else they'll just plop on over, right? Gain head control. They gain the ability to sit up on their own. Next thing you know, they're crawling. Next thing you know, they're walking. Next thing you know, you're chasing them all over the house, right? But there's this development, right? And there's a parallel to that that represents the spiritual growth that the Apostle Paul wants to see out of Christian believers that they go from not being able to control their head to being able to walk. And we're just really not that astonished by that anymore, and we probably should be. Wow! Wow! The Apostle Paul rejoices in the ability to walk spiritually and wants us to be able to walk more faithfully. To grow in Christian faith and maturity is the metaphor that he uses for the Christian faith. Walking. Walking. So what does it look like? What does it look like to walk the Christian faith? This is a very, this is a very basic reality here that he's praying for, but oftentimes we, I think, complicate it and we, we want to include far too many details. So Paul is saying, I want you to grow in knowledge so you can walk. And what does the walking look like? What does it look like to walk sincerely the Christian faith? Or another way of asking it is, what are, what are the marks and intervals on the growth chart spiritually that Paul wants to be able to see in this congregation and by virtue, you and I. And so what we're asking there is, how should you be growing as a Christian? That question assumes a lot of things, doesn't it? It assumes that you realize that the Christian growth is not a stagnant thing where you are growing. Let me call out to you that if you find yourself absolutely stagnant in your Christian faith, why? Why? Apostle Paul wants you to grow, wants you to, to advance, wants you to walk. What are the marks of it? They're in verses 10 through 12, and there's three of them. Now, again, this is one run-on sentence in the Greek. It's, it's somewhat hard to distinguish kind of the, the main points. But if we can say generally that Paul is praying that we would learn to walk, the walking looks like three things. The marks on the growth chart of spiritual walking look like growing spiritual fruit, gaining spiritual strength, and learning to live in a grateful spiritual citizenship. Let's see those three things so you can measure our spiritual growth, measure your spiritual growth. First of all, in verse 10, he says again, 
fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit. That's the key thing. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Growing spiritual fruit and otherwise. You know, oftentimes people assume that the Christian faith is just defined by things that you don't do. Don't do that. Don't do that. Definitely don't do that. And they think that Christianity is just don't. Not realizing actually that the Bible is mostly instructive about what we ought to do or should do. The Apostle Paul says, I'm praying for you to grow in spiritual fruitfulness, to bear fruit. Here is this emphasis on what the Christian should be doing, positively speaking, growing in spiritual fruitfulness. The fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22-23, they are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are you more patient than you were last year, five years ago? Are you more kind? Are you more loving? Do you have more self-control? Are you more faithful? The Apostle Paul says, I want you to grow. I want you to grow in bearing fruit and demonstrating the fruitfulness of the Spirit of God in the Christian life as you grow in faith, demonstrating these realities. But let me tell you what I understand about bearing fruit. I understand that bearing fruit is preceded by pruning. You have to prune to bear fruit. So it may be that one of the reasons why I'm not bearing fruit as I ought to is because I'm too busy doing this that needs to be pruned that I might bear fruit. I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm not going to stand up here and suppose to tell you what all of that is. But one of the things that the Spirit of God does is that He reveals that to us. The Apostle Paul is here praying for you to bear fruit. And we should be asking, Lord, in what ways... Do I need to bear fruit that that I'm not? What's getting in the way? What needs to be pruned? What needs to be lopped off? And quite frankly, oftentimes we think that pruning is this little dainty process with the tiniest of clippers. When I prune my apple trees, I go at them. And you have to. Effective fruitfulness requires aggressive pruning. And the Spirit of God is at work in our life. Jesus tells us to prune and pluck out that we might bear fruit. And the Apostle Paul wants you to be a fruit-bearing Christian, increasing fruitfulness in your life. That's the first thing. Secondly, he also prays in verse 11 for spiritual strength. The marks on the growth chart, Paul prays that we would bear spiritual fruit. And also, in verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance with patience and joy. Strengthened according to God's glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. Do you, do you perceive that you are growing in spiritual strength in order that you might, to use Paul's language, press on? It's just a fact of life, isn't it, that, that oftentimes the circumstances of life present to us realities that we would otherwise not have chosen for ourselves, right? God's providence is such that sometimes the providences are frowning rather than smiling. And the Apostle Paul wants us to be increasing in spiritual strength so that we can press on with endurance and patience and joy, steadily continuing on. This is really what I like to call 
the secret of the Christian life, which is no secret at all. There are many people who like to sell this notion that there's this secret understanding of the Christian life, and if you could just discover it, that you would unlock all the keys and all the mysteries, and everything would go well for you all the time, and you would always be wonderful and happy and full of joy all the time. But here's the secret, actually. It's no secret. It's just simple plotting. It's just simple continuing on with one foot in front of the other a little bit at a time. Most of the important spiritual growth happens in your life when you're actually just ordinarily going through life, seeking to be faithful, honoring the Lord, worshiping on the Lord's day, going through the rhythms of life, and you perceive that the growth comes over time. And that's just how the Lord works. Spiritual growth happens the same way physical growth happens in the sense that we don't watch our children and grandchildren all of a sudden shoot up before our very eyes in just an instant. It doesn't work that way. It happens over time and over seasons, slowly with patience. And the Apostle Paul wants you to be, in this term, an ordinary Christian. An ordinary Christian who's just putting one foot in front of the other, growing in the spiritual strength to press on with endurance and patience and joy. I'm thankful for the ways that I see that in many of you. The way that you just keep going. The way that you press on. When a trial comes and you say the Lord will give grace and we will endure and we will bless His name in the midst of this, that's exactly what Paul is praying for. That the mark of spiritual growth here is gaining spiritual strength to keep going. Keep going. I understand that many times you might say, boy, you know, I'd just rather just sit down and put my feet up and rest a while. Paul understands that the Christian life is not a life of ease and rest. It's a life of faithful plodding one foot in front of the other. The mark on the growth chart, growing in spiritual fruit, gaining spiritual thanks, uh, strength, and finally, understanding a grateful spiritual citizenship in verse 12. He prays that we would bear fruit, be strengthened, and in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Giving thanks to the Father. An important mark of spiritual growth of, in the Christian life, the Apostle Paul says here, is gratitude, thankfulness, giving thanks to God the Father who has, in the words of verse 12, qualified you. That word qualified can also mean made you sufficient. Made you sufficient. So I'll touch on this that I see oftentimes, especially on social media and you see people kind of passing around these these kind of like uh, rallying cries of, of, of self-help and rallying cries of you can do it and I see it a lot it's being circulated this kind of sense of saying you're enough you are enough you're enough and I I wonder is that what the Christian should believe is that what the gospel says to us to kind of cheer us on in life? You are enough within yourself? No. The Apostle Paul says that God is the one who has qualified you. God is the one who has made you sufficient. In Jesus Christ, you are enough. 
That's what the Gospel says. Because of the Father's grace in Jesus Christ, you are enough. If you were enough for yourself, you wouldn't need a Savior. If you were enough for yourself, then you wouldn't give thanks. But the Apostle Paul says that a chief mark of a growing Christian is giving thanks to the God who has made us enough. The mark of the Christian life in this instance is growing in thankfulness to God. Are you mindful of God's grace and mercy to you? Are you thinking about it? Do you call it to mind as a motivation to worship? Do you call it to mind as a motivation to continue on in obedience? Are you thoughtful of the fact that God has been gracious to you? That's what the Apostle Paul wants for you to grow as a Christian, to grow in thankfulness. This is not just a theme that we should think about on the fourth Thursday of November. This is the reality for the life of the Christian. Somebody who grows in thankfulness. Listen to what Thomas Brooks says. He's, a, he's an old school Puritan minister. He says this, Thanksgiving is a self-denying grace. Thankfulness is uncrowning ourselves to place the crown upon the head of our Creator. Uncrowning ourselves. Some people say that, that what preaching is, as we articulate the Scriptures and teach it, it's like group counseling in some ways. And it is. The Bible is inviting me here. The Bible is inviting you, as Paul prays for you, to literally uncrown yourself. To stop being so interested with yourself. To stop being so focused on yourself. To stop being so, to say it so blatantly, self-centered. The Apostle Paul, what he is doing here is he's telling these Colossian Christians that this is how you can grow in faith, to walk out by growing in spiritual fruit, gaining spiritual strength, being a grateful spiritual citizen. These Colossian Christians are being welcomed into an entirely new way of life, an entirely reoriented way of life that no longer places myself at the center of existence, but says to the Lord, you have made me and I'm living for you rather than living for myself. To grow up in fruitfulness and strength and thankfulness. That's what Paul is praying. So again, we keep coming back to this point. Do you recognize these things in your life? We should be asking ourselves this question, being spiritually evaluative of ourselves. Do I identify spiritual growth in my life? Lord, help me to grow. This is what Paul is praying for. Grow in faith. Enable us to walk in order to be fruitful, strong, and thankful. So, by way of application, that we would take it home and understand it, these two things. Are you growing? Am I growing? Lord, I want to grow. I want to be more faithful. I want to be more fruitful. I want to be stronger in my perseverance. I want to trust you more and be more grateful. Lord, I want to grow. It is an infectious reality when Christians are interested in spiritual growth and they are talking about their spiritual growth amongst one another and there is this inertia that happens in the church when we are moving in a Christward direction and saying, we want to grow. We're not happy being stagnant. We're not happy being where we were last year and the year before. We want to see measurable growth in our lives. Let's encourage each other in that. Let's press on together. Let's call it out in each other's lives as we see it. I see that in you and I'm thankful for it. And I praise God for it. Let's keep going together. We should be looking at and interested in measurable growth for ourselves, first of all. Secondly and finally, as a way of application, 
I know you care about your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and your nephews. Who doesn't care about successive generations? We all do. And we pray for them, don't we? I think the Bible is encouraging us about how we can pray for our children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews. Yes, we want them to be healthy. Yes, we want them to be okay. You know, we want so many things for them. But oftentimes, we might receive this correction that our concerns for prayer for our children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews, might be too earthly focused. And we need to be spiritually concerned for their growth. So here the Apostle Paul gives you grandmother, grandfather, mother, father, aunt, uncle, church member, a prayer to pray for the covenant children of our church that they would be growing in spiritual fruit, gaining spiritual strength, being grateful spiritual citizens of Christ's kingdom. This is how the Apostle Paul prays for you. And I would like to encourage us that this is how we might pray for ourselves and pray for one another and especially the children of our church. That we might be those who are walking together in Christ. Loved ones, I hope you receive that as an encouragement that wherever you are today, there's a room to grow and grace to be able to do it in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, that You are a God who cares for us, who by Your providence is in all the details of our lives and providing to us the means to be able to grow. Help us to do so not by our own strength, but by the strength of the Spirit that supplies us all the grace that we need. Lord, have mercy upon us. And as we grow, help us to give You glory and praise as the God who has redeemed us that we might live as citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven. Lord, bless us, our children and grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, the children of Your covenant. In kindness and in mercy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.